going to put a, a picture up of um, something you might recognise. Anyone recognise that? You know, person, person there? Steve Irwin, crocodile hunter. Such a sad day 16 years ago when he passed away. It was a real loss for Australia and the world. So in this photo, he's at Australia Zoo and he's giving a demonstration of, uh, of the power of the crocodile. So people come from all over the world to see what a crocodile looks like, uh, how, the, you know, how scary they are. And uh, they watch the handlers go face to face with crocodiles. So what normally happens in this scenario is um, that the handler gets like a, a chicken or a piece of meat and takes it up to the water, jumps in the water and starts splashing around. And of course, this is the very thing that will attract a crocodile. And uh, the crocodile, feel that they've got sensors all over their body, so they, they, they feel that this is happening and they can, they can realise there's something in the water, maybe there's a meal coming, and the crocodile enters the arena and the crowd can see the crocodile and the tension builds as the crocodile, usually a large one, approaches the handler, who as soon as the, the crocodile gets, you know, not too far away, comes out of the water, holds up the chicken or the meat, the crocodile comes out of the water, makes a lunge and there's a the snap of the jaws, and the crowd applauds, and it's all pretty exciting. Anyone seen that? Some people might have been to Australia Zoo, but it happens at other places as well. It's amazing. People take photos, uh, amazing show, and people come from all over the world. Now, there is some danger involved. There have been some handlers who've been hurt over the years, but really it's not that dangerous. Why is it not dangerous? Because the water is clear. You see the picture there? The water's clear. So you, everyone can see the crocodile. You know where it is. There's no mystery here. So the crocodile comes along. You know what, he knows when to get out of the water. There's no real danger, even though there's tension around the size of the crocodile and you know, how, how nasty it can be. Let's go to the next slide. In the wild, of course, the water is not clear. The water is murky and muddy, Crocs are able to sneak up on their prey uh, by the water's edge, even if it's a person, without being seen. Things are far more dangerous when the water is not clear. So the croc comes, it approaches, it gets its victim. Almost every time in the wild, or quite regularly. So when the water is murky, dark... Uh, you can't see the crocodile. You just don't know what's there. It's not safe because you don't know what's hiding. So when, if you're in northern Australia, it's wise to stay away from muddy waters. It's inherently dangerous when the water is murky. You just never know what's lurking there wanting to make you its meal. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So this is a, a photo here. Now, have a look at that. I wonder what your emotional reaction is. As a church staff, we meet on Tuesdays to pray, to go through things, to plan. Now, this week we read an article by a guy called Karen Newhoff, and it raised some questions. And he was saying, there are certain things Christians shouldn't say as they go about talking about their faith. Uh, and we discussed the article. We kind of, kind of came to the conclusion, yeah, he's right. There are some things you shouldn't say, but depends on the context and all of that sort of stuff especially when you talk about prayer or God speaking to people or maybe God's presence and power, there's ways of putting that across that isn't helpful and that and is helpful. So the pictures on the screen are examples of what some people might back away from or be afraid of when it comes to the idea of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, I talk to people in many places and I regularly hear people who, who share a story that they've been hurt or offended in some way by something that happened at a previous church or a previous pastor or leader, someone who was claiming to speak for God or maybe offered some sort of ministry claim from the Holy Spirit. And because of that experience, they've drawn back. And they said, that's a bit scary. Something happened back there. I don't want to go into that space again. They're reluctant, and so they avoid it. You know, I can understand that. Why go into a place where you've been hurt, manipulated, or abused in the past? Having said that, I want to say up front, I believe that God does speak to us today. I also believe that God heals people today. God's power isn't any different than it was in the first century. And I've seen some pretty amazing things happen in the past, but I've also seen some things happen that definitely comes under the, the heading of control or manipulation or coercion or power games by people. That certainly has happened. Maybe you've experienced that as well. It seems for many people in this area of the Holy Spirit, the waters are quite murky. It's been muddied by all sorts of things that have happened in history. For some people and some churches, they won't go anywhere near this stuff because of what's happened in the past. And the fear that maybe that will happen if we open the door to any sort of mention of the Holy Spirit. The water's really dark and really murky. I wonder if that's you. you maybe you've seen stuff. It's caused you to ask questions. It's caused you to doubt. It's caused you maybe even to feel vulnerable in that space. Maybe you've been left cold by someone's appeal to some money appeal. So, you know, someone's saying, you've got to give me money. And maybe it's for my personal aircraft. Uh, and you've got questions about all this. You feel reluctant, untrusting in this space. So I want to talk about this today. I want to maybe give some guidance in this area. I hope that even though the waters have been muddied, we can still look to God. We can still trust him in the area of him speaking to us and in the area of his power and his desire to heal us and bring blessing to people. I want to say this. It's not the Holy Spirit that muddied the waters. It's people that muddy the waters. Sometimes people have done things that have been very unhelpful. So even though the waters are muddy, I want to give you some ways in which you can test the waters. You can put some tests in place to see, is this genuine? Is it real? Uh, so if you hear or see or experience something connected with the Holy Spirit, how do you know it's real? How do you know these gifts are from God? Uh, how do you know it's not a power trip by someone? How do you know someone's not trying to deceive you or, or fleece you? Or even if, if it's the enemy at work. So, we ready? Let's uh, dive in. Okay, here's... Uh, I, 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 I met a lady who was living not far from here, actually. Uh, I think in Inglewood. And before she became a Christian, she was a medium. She would receive messages from somewhere for people. She'd be able to look into people's future. Now, she had this ability from when she was young. She grew up. Later, she recognized that this something, she, she started, you know, she became a Christian eventually. And she gave her life to Christ. And she started, she realized she had a gift, but she'd misused the gift. When she became a Christian, she had to reorient the gift around Jesus. Uh, and, and she began, she, the gift was still operating in her but it was very different messages that she started 
receiving for people after she became a Christian was a different reality. So one time I took a friend to her. This guy was very troubled. He wanted someone to pray for, uh, pray for him. Uh, he arrived. She took one look at him. She said, you've got four children. Now, this guy had never been married. I had no idea he had any children, and that seemed ridiculous to me. She's kind of like, what's she talking about? There was no way she could have known anything about first time she'd met him in, in her life. Turns out when that guy was younger, he had actually gotten four girls pregnant. He had four children. Nobody knew about it. I didn't know. Only God and he knew about this. Uh, there was no way she could have known. Needless to say, that information got his attention. He knew God was speaking to him. She prayed for him and she gave him some guidance for his, from his life, which was really significant for him and helpful. Okay, I tell that story to give you some background about the church at Corinth. In Corinth, there was a people whose past history was paganism, idol worship, and I suggest probably they had people in there who were priests and priestesses of pagan religions. Maybe they were even prophets of pagan religions. Probably similar to the lady that I, I knew who had been in a medium in the past. When the gospel came to Corinth, it came with power and signs and wonders. There were many spiritual gifts in evidence. So much so that in the meetings, people would be prophesying, speaking in tongues, all sorts of stuff going on. That's the context in which Paul speaks when he speaks to the church in Corinth. So this is the Jesus is Lord test. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how powerful the message it doesn't matter how convincing the message. In my friend's situation, this lady could have called out the four children that no one else could know, but if the message she gives later doesn't acknowledge and recognize Jesus as Lord, it is not from the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is not glorified, this is not God. That's really, I think, the implications of what Paul says. It's a test for all spiritual revelation. All religions... God's plan is that Jesus will be lifted up as Lord of all. That's his plan. That's only really one plan for history. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess to him, to no one else. Anything that's not consistent with that plan, doesn't matter how powerful or convincing it is, it's not from God. I want to emphasize this strongly. I'll give you another scripture relating to this. This is Galatians 1 verse 8. It says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. There's only one Lord and there's only one gospel. It doesn't matter if it comes from an angel from heaven. It doesn't matter the means of revelation. It doesn't matter how powerful it is. If it's not acknowledging Jesus as Lord, if it's not recognizing the gospel, it's not from heaven. It doesn't matter what else happens around it disqualifies it as being from God. If people contradict the idea that Jesus is Lord, if they contradict the gospel, it's not from God. Be warned and be wary. You know, I've been to meetings where people have been prophesying 
And sometimes it's been really good. People have been saying things, this is from God, and Jesus has been glorified and lifted up. Been to other meetings, and people have been talking about trying to say that this is from God, and they were recognizing and acknowledging all sorts of stuff except Jesus. It was more about angels and visions and their own ministry and give me some money. And sure enough, it usually ends with that, um, Sometimes spiritual gifts come, they come in different contexts. It has to be acknowledging and recognizing Jesus as Lord. That's a key test. Is Jesus glorified? Is the gospel proclaimed? If he's not, stay away from it. Whatever is going on, how impress, however impressive it seems, keep away. Don't be impressed with power if the power isn't pointing to Jesus. That's not consistent with the gospel. Here's another test. Uh, this is First uh, John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you will recognize the spirit of, spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Uh, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and it already is now in this world. So Paul says there's many false prophets. There's all sorts of stuff out there. But you need to test them. You need to check it out. Don't be impressed by the power or the revelation or things like that. Uh, if it's, it, can, it can be dodgy. Prophecy and spiritual gifts are not meant to be coercive. God wants people to maintain their freedom. Here's a test. Does this message or this ministry acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh? This is a key point. It's always been a key point of orthodox belief. The devil hates that idea. Because if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, he didn't really become one of us. He can't be our sacrifice. He can't be our saviour. And we can't follow him. If he's not divine, we've never had a human being truly serve God. And so we have no one to guide us. If Jesus is not fully human then we don't have any hope of following God because we don't have anyone human who has actually done it and shown us the way. Nobody can say no to sin in their life, can they? Because no human being's ever done it. But if Jesus is really human and has taken on fully the human condition, it is possible to follow God in truth because somebody has done it. Jesus came as a human being. He showed us how to live as human beings. And that's the basis for us being able to follow him because he was one of us. Now, we're not perfect, but we can grow into that. Now, you've heard it said to err is, what is it? To err is human, to forgive divine? No. <laughs> to err is human, but to forgive is human as well. Jesus said, you've got to forgive. That's a human thing. If you're sinned against, we have to forgive. It's not just a divine thing. He experienced all we experienced and still trusted his father, still gave himself to God. As human beings, we in the same way can be filled with the spirit of God to be the salt and the light of the world. If Jesus didn't become human, then humanity has never come out of the darkness and never can. We've got no one to show us what human life should be like. But if Jesus has become human, 
we've got someone to show us the way. The water has been muddied in this area. Now, there have been all sorts of beliefs and teachings over the history of the church denying this. People said, no, he only, he only seemed to be human. He was kind of a little bit human. He was different than us. Didn't really take on humanity. And John says that teaching is actually not from God. In fact, that's the Antichrist spirit, he says. The incarnation is a very important doctrine. It's a real touchstone for true Christianity. God became a human being in Jesus Christ. Not simply a human being. He also is God, but he became human. That means he shares in our suffering. He shares in our humiliation. He knows what it's like to be in our shoes. We have a faithful and merciful high priest because he's been where we're at. God's work through Jesus, his miracles and all the things he does aren't done because he's God. Other people do miracles in the Bible. They're not God. It's not the div divinity of Jesus through which the miracles happen. It's a human being surrendered to the purposes of God and filled with the Spirit, doing the works that the Father does through him. And that means other people also filled with the Spirit can also do such works. Jesus said, it's better that I go and you will do greater works. Not because you become gods, but because the same spirit that filled him will fill us. And he said, I will send the spirit to enable you to do the things that I have done. Beware of any teaching, any prophecy, any ministry that, that denies that Jesus became truly human. That he had a real human body. That teaching is not of God. In fact, John says it's from the Antichrist spirit. Okay, you ever wonder what the church was like in the early days? Uh, New Testament gives us an example. The church of Corinth is one example. Now, it's a pretty charismatic, wild place. But it was part of the churches uh, of the New Testament. It gives us insight. There's all sorts of prophecy and stuff going on. It's a really interesting study of what it looks like when God is speaking to a group of people. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Now, I want to focus on that last phrase. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. So imagine the situation, someone's prophesying. This is the church at Corinth. They're telling people, God has said this, I believe this is what God is saying to us, or something of that, of that nature. Prophecy can be a powerful thing. And if, if people can prophesy, normally there's a sense of awe or respect that people have towards them. Wow, this person actually speaks from God. That's amazing. And people tend to honour and respect people able to do that. Now, and what can happen is something can change and people begin to treat them differently. They start to honour them. Now, there's a good honouring and there's a kind of a wrong honouring. And it's easy. If you're someone with a gift like that, or any gift really, 
doesn't really matter. This happens to everyone who's gifted in some way. You start to think, well, people say I'm pretty special. Maybe I am special. Maybe I'm a bit different than everyone else. Maybe the rules that apply to everyone else don't really apply to me. I think what we're seeing, kind of in the unmasking of a lot of public Christian figures, people have believed that their gift have given them the right to do things. Uh, the rules didn't apply to them anymore. You start to think you're special. You think that your voice is the most important one in the room. A bit like with Elvis, right? You know, with Elvis, he was surrounded by groups of people who said, uh, good on you, Elvis. Everything you do, Elvis is fantastic. Elvis say, how about I do it? Yeah, that's great, Elvis. You heard the, the term sycophant? <laughs> A sycophant, he, he tells you exactly what you want to hear. Elvis was surrounded by sycophants, by people who said, Elvis, you're doing great. You can't make any mistakes. Even when he was taking drugs and doing all sorts of crazy things, he was simply told that he was the best. No one would contradict him or speak into his life. He was found dead at 42 years old of a drug overdose, uh, when he should probably lived another 40 years. Who knows? Paul says the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Essentially, I think he's saying someone who prophesies should always be willing to submit what they say to other people so that they can test it. You should never override that step of accountability to other people. That doesn't mean, if people test things, that's not being negative, it doesn't mean lack of faith. Things are meant to be tested, they're meant to be weighed. People have to maintain their conscience. You should never override someone's conscience. You've got to respect the conscience of people. God has given them the conscience. If they don't agree with what you're saying, it doesn't matter. You've got to respect their conscience. No one uh, is an island. God doesn't give gifts to set people apart, to make them special. Gifts are given for the benefit of the body. They're, they're given for other people. There's this attitude thing. Anyone has a spiritual gift, especially if it's a gift like prophecy, which can be prominent, Got to keep this in mind. It's not about you. Remember a few years ago, there was an organization looking for a spiritual leader. There was an international organization. Uh, and one person came and they said, I think I'd, I'll go for that job. They came with all these credentials, all the things they'd done in their ministry and their life. And they were really impressive. This person looked like they would get the job. But the board of the organization uh, asked a very wise and strategic question. They ask this, who can say no to you and make it stick? Essentially, they were saying, who do you listen to and take advice from? And this person had a team, and when that team heard that question, they laughed because it's like, nobody says no to that guy. He's in charge. He's too important. He makes everything happen. That answer was not what the board was looking for. They rejected the application. Instead, they went for a person who, when they asked that question, who was able to say no to you and make it stick, brought out a list of people uh, that they were accountable to, a variety of people that could speak into their life, tell them no, and they would listen to them. God works through the body, not through lone rangers. Everyone who wants to operate in spiritual gifts should be submitted to a group of people, a church, a leadership team, a board of some description, 
and be open to being corrected by them. Beware if that's not the case. Okay, uh, here's another test. We live, in a, you know, we live in a time in history where the church is a bit on the nose. We've talked a bit about that before. And sometimes with good reason. There have been scandals involving Christian leaders in our society. This is the fruit test. So Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, by their fruit you will recognize them. Now, remember we're talking about muddy waters? (laughs) When a person claims to speak for God or does something claiming to represent God, uh, and their lives don't add up, if they do things outwardly, publicly, and their, their life doesn't add up privately, uh, people get confused by that. I've seen, you've probably seen too, people who are serving God, okay, they're doing stuff publicly, but behind the scenes, it's like they're having an affair, or more than one affair, uh, they're stealing money or something, they're doing all this stuff behind the scenes, Meanwhile, they're doing this Christian ministry. Something underhanded is going on. It looks like they're doing a good job. It looks like they're serving God. But behind the scenes, something is wrong. I'm sure we've all heard of this or maybe we even recognize it from personal experience. Maybe they were preachers and people were benefiting from their message. Maybe they were pastors. Maybe they grew a massive church. Maybe they were leaders of Christian organizations who seemed to be doing a, good, a lot of good in the world and it looked like they were speaking from God and God was blessing them. But then the truth comes out. Usually one person blows the whistle and they say, look, let me tell you about what's actually going on. People often criticize that person. And then others start telling stories This is going on behind the scenes. Now, I won't mention any names, but you probably can think of some names now where that's been the case. People feel really hurt and disillusioned when a Christian leader falls. They've been living a double life. It looked like they were a good tree. It looked like they were doing good things, but there was rottenness at the core and bad fruit is born. No matter how much good gets done, the disillusionment and and breaking of trust that happens makes the the former stuff not worth it. Ministry is really a serious and an awesome responsibility to serve God. As Christians, our behavior impacts what other people will think about God. We represent God. If we represent God badly, people are going to think bad things about God. We need to be careful. We need to be holy in this area. Now, speaking to a, a pastor in Perth recently, he's saying he's got a job as a youth pastor role, and there were two candidates. One candidate, uh, really good speaker, really impressive person, kind of charismatic, and, um, and they looked at this person, like, really great. But when they went behind the scenes and, and did the interview, like they um, checked on the referees, the referees were like, yeah, really good at this and that, but just not sure about giving them a recommendation. 
there was another person who, not very charismatic, uh, nowhere near as good a speaker, uh, but when you, re- you talk to the people who've known them and so said, that person has integrity, just willing to give them, endorse them fully. Anyway, they made the decision to go with character, not with gifting. And they didn't regret that choice. The church hired the second guy. And, and a lot of people have been in leadership a long time, has shifted from, we want someone who's really good, to we want someone who's really solid, who, who has the character to be able to do the ministry. Eventually, the person with character will shine through. In the long term, character is a better marker than spiritual gifts or anything like that, impressiveness. The inward part of our life, you know, the core reality, the secret part has to match up with the outward part, public face. Jesus said, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Eventually, what is inside will become clear. Okay, let's 1 Corinthians 14.3. So in the New Testament, prophecy is a bit different than the Old Testament. Uh, this verse tells us the basic approach to New Testament prophecy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. It's not about criticizing or bringing people down. You know, sometimes you have people speaking for God and they're always negative just be wary of the, of the negative all the time because this says prophecy is about encouraging, strengthening, and comforting people. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Hey, we're condemned enough. He came to save. There's a positive side of prophecy we should take on board. Strengthening, encouraging, comforting, building others up. The nature of prophecy and spiritual gifts in general is to, is to bring blessing to people. Now, sometimes there might be a difficult message. There might be saying, oh, gee, I, I need to say this to you, even though it's a hard message. But the goal of that is not to destroy the person or criticize them. It's actually to see them restored. Beware of anyone whose constant impact is negative. It consistently criticizes and speaks negatively about others or other churches. It, it's not a good thing. Okay, this is, this is something that's not in the Bible, but it's from the early centuries of the church. I thought it's a really interesting... You know, sometimes you think, we live in our generation and we're subject to the idolatry of our generation because we live now. That's why I think we need to listen to people who lived in other times of history because they can speak into our life without the idolatry that we have. So this is a document from about 300 AD. It's kind of a summary of the early church. It's called the Didache, which means the teaching uh, of, the, prof- of the, the apostles. It represents what many in the early church thought and the way they used to do um, ministry. So let's read it. And concerning the apostles and prophets, act thus according to the ordinance of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord, as you receive the Lord. But let him not stay more than one day, or if need be a second as well, but if he stays three days, he's a false prophet. And when an apostle goes forth, let him accept nothing but bread till he reaches night's lodging. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. Now, the context in the early church, they had a lot of traveling teachers who would go from place to place. They didn't have the scriptures yet. And so they would go and they would teach the congregations 
from place to place, and they'd be supported as they went. These people were outside the accountability of a normal congregation. People couldn't see their daily lifestyle, so they could go about from church to church, and if they were able to profit from this, nobody would know. They'd just go from one to the other, and they'd take the money, personally profiting from the ministry. But you read the Didache, this, this document, and you can see that it was really, they were really serious about not letting people fleece the congregations. Now, this is not about asking money for their cause. I mean, Paul in the New Testament says, I want to take up a collection for the, for the churches in Jerusalem because they're really poor, and there's a famine collection as well. It's not about asking money for a cause. It's about asking money for yourself. Living a lavish lifestyle beyond the gaze of the local church, from uh, sort of profiting from the ministry. It's really difficult to feel confident giving to a ministry, uh, even if you know they're doing some good, when you know the person doing the preaching is raising $100 million for their own personal aircraft. And that is true. That does happen. And they live in a Beverly Hills mansion. That wouldn't, that wouldn't cut it in the early church. The gospel is never for sale. It's always free. When people make the gospel for sale, in other words, we'll pray for you if you give us this gift, etc. Uh, it muddies the waters. It used to be for pastors that God kept you humble and the church kept you poor. Now, that's no longer the case. Now, you know, as pastors, we get paid pretty okay in Western Australia. You know, I, I, Mark's not here today, Mark Wilson. Part of his role when he became director of ministries, he actually did some things around salaries where he got external references and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so thanks, Mark. Um, there are external pegs, you know, like you don't, you don't get your family to choose your salary as it happens somewhere. You have some sort of system where it's externally accountable to do all that sort of stuff. In the early church, they tested apostles and, prophet, apostles and prophets and they didn't accept them in the community if they were just feathering their own nests. We're living in a certain time in history. We're living in a very wealthy time in history. We are the wealthiest people the world has ever known. Even people who are not doing so well in Australia, we're probably still in the top 5% in the world. We have an amazing standard of living in this country. It's very easy from that to assume that everybody else has the same that we do and everybody in history has had the same that we have. It's just not the case. That's why I think we read ancient documents to get perspective on what things should be like today. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Be on your guard. Other people should be setting salaries for Christian leaders, not themselves or their family members. By all means, support ministries. I'm not saying by this don't support ministries, but do your homework. Make sure the money's going where it should be going because money's been funneled off in many cases. Check and make sure. It's unfortunate that Christian ministry, maybe especially TV and online versions, has muddied the waters for people and they've lost confidence 
It's so different than how Jesus operated. So be on guard. So let's go back to the dark water. This is the dark water again. Northern Australia, why don't you go in the dark water or near it? Because you know there could be crocodiles there. Dangerous. The waters have been muddied. Some people have backed away because they've just seen things that have led them to lose confidence. Let me just keep a basic Christian faith. I'll believe in Jesus, but none of that stuff about the Holy Spirit, that's dangerous because I've seen it misused. I get that. But I want to say this, the New Testament, that's, that stuff's in the New Testament. I don't think we should let go of the New Testament and the, and the things in it about the Holy Spirit because some people have muddied the waters. He called his disciples to go. He promised they would receive the Spirit and he said with the Spirit would come power. He even said they would do greater works than him. Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. That instruction stands even if the waters have been muddied. So there is some murky water. We have to be careful about not, um, not allowing God's calling for us to know and experience the Holy Spirit to put that down because there have been some problems historically. There are crocodiles in the water. Uh, let's acknowledge that. But why would you go in the water in northern Australia if it's, if it's got crocodiles? Would you go in the water? Let me show you why. Let's go to the next one. Barramundi. What does a barramundi taste like? Subtle, gentle, these are descriptions, mild flavour, a rich, buttery, soft, slightly sweet flavour according to fish choice, a silky mouthfeel, a delicate skin that crisps perfectly when seared. The smell is also on the mild side. So you feeling hungry? Barramundi is a fantastic fish and you know where it lives? In the murky waters of northern Australia. Why would we go in those waters when we know there's danger? Because there's also reward. Now, we've talked about some of the dangers today. The waters have been muddied by all sorts of things. And people, in the name of the Holy Spirit and talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts, have manipulated people, they've controlled people, they've been violent occasions, they've taken money from people. There's, there's murky water out there. But I want to encourage you not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't throw out the barramundi with the crocodiles, right? There are barramundi out there worth catching. Now, what, 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 what comes to mind when you see this picture? It's got to be, next one, it's got to be legit, right? There's a picture of Malcolm Fraser on there. Must be legit. What would happen if I went to the shop and I tried to cash this? Well, for a start, you can't buy anything for $3, right? But apart from that... Uh, there are no real $3 bills, so a counterfeit $3 bill doesn't work. When we see so many ways that people have counterfeited and abused and muddied the waters, misrepresented God in all sorts of ways, what does it say? I think it probably says there's, the fact that they're a counterfeit means there is something real. A fake note only has value because if it's a $2 note, yes, 
$3 note, nobody, that's nothing in that because no, there are no $3 bills. God speaks to people by the Holy Spirit. He does give prophetic words and messages through Scripture, through other people, through circumstance. God does heal people. There are powerful things that God does in this world. There are amazing gifts given to the church. There is the real deal. And the real deal is precious and powerful and important. I think that's why we have the problem, because there is the real. If there was no real, there would be no need for counterfeit. Even if the waters are muddied and you feel that they're muddied, I want to say the fishing is worth it. The taste of barramundi is worth the risk. The gifts of God, God speaking to us by the Spirit, uh, God healing us, restoring our lives, using us to bless others, it's worth it to pursue those things, to find out about those things. I want to finish with a story because, you know, um, I've talked about some negative stuff. I want to talk about some positive stuff. I shared this story on Wednesday night. Now, there's a young couple getting married. It's not my wife and I, but I want to tell you about my wife and I. When I tell the story, it's almost like, because people have been, in this area, people have experienced bad things. You know, I remember in a church once, there was a young lady who led worship, very attractive young lady. There were five people, five guys in the congregation believed that God had told them specifically they would marry her. I don't know how that's going to work out, but anyway. <laughs> but even though the water's muddy, that doesn't mean that God can't speak to us. So I've... I've um, water is muddy let's just recognize but don't let go of God's call his gifts because others have done crazy things so I met my wife uh, I was 23 years old with your indulgence I'll share this story 23 years old I'm in church now I used to play guitar in church I'm not very good but I can do three chords and so I'm, I'm, I play guitar apparently when I play guitar I open my mouth A real catch, right? Or as my wife reflected later telling me, she said, a real drip. <laughs> what chance a bloke like me? <laughs> so there's not many young people in the church, so I took it upon myself to disciple Rhonda. I think at the time she just wanted to get on with her studies, right? But I was persistent. She finally agreed. And I remember we went out a couple of times and I was on the phone to her and she said this to me. She said, don't get any ideas because the person who marries me has to sing me a certain song. Now, rewind seven years. She's 12 years old. She's just gone to high school and she's in a music lesson. She plays flute. And there's a song playing and her family background and some of the things she'd experienced led her to think that you know, marriage is not a really good scenario. God, if there's a God, didn't grow up in the church, but she had a grandma that was a believer. Uh, she said, um, God, I'm only going to marry someone unless they sing me the song that I'm playing right now. So in this music class, 12 years old. Okay, fast forward seven years. We're in this phone call. She says to me, I can't marry anyone. I've got this arrangement with God. Uh, unless they sing me the song that I was playing back then, a certain song. It's a tough condition, right? How do you, how do you meet that condition? She, she tells me this. She's got this arrangement with God. I hear these words. I think, what hope have I got? But 
a particular song comes into my mind. And I said to her, I know what the song is. And she said, I can't say what she said in church, but basically she said, I don't believe that you could know that. <laughs> um, and I said, no, I think God has told me what it is. And she said, what is it? And I said, it's Six Ribbons by John English. And lo and behold, that was the song that seven years earlier she'd made an arrangement with God about that she wouldn't marry anyone until they sang her that song. Now, next day, it goes downhill from here because next day I got the music and I played the song. Um, and the thing is that now she'd had this experience and she, she kind of started to feel depressed because she nowadays, now, then she felt she didn't have a choice. But that's another story. <laughs> but that's a, and a pretty amazing experience to look back on for us. But I tell you what, things weren't easy at that time in terms of getting married and all that. We had to go through a whole lot of stuff. Sometimes I wonder whether God speaks to you because he knows there's going to be struggles and he knows you've got to be able to hold on to what he says. You've got to be able to, um, you know, persevere through difficulty so he gives you some clear guidance. Next Monday, it's 31 years. So. So I want to say that seeking God is worth it. Listening for his voice is worth it. I'm not saying you have to have that sort of experience to get married. No one to get married. But God does speak to us. He cares about things in our lives and he wants to guide us. The Holy Spirit will give us God's wisdom and guidance. I think miracles still happen. God is still God. Don't, be, don't give up on these things because the water's a little muddy. Test the water. Listen to God. Jesus promised he was with us till the end of the age. He will help us and guide us. Let me finish with a scripture from Jesus. This is Luke 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's willing to give us what we need. The Holy Spirit his gifts, guidance for life, God is willing for those things to, to give to us. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to pray for those particularly who feel as if the waters have been muddy. Through experiences they've had or through things that they've seen, Lord, they've stepped back and said, it's just too hard, it's not worth it. It's too dangerous. I've been taken advantage of. Father, I want to pray. Healing and restoration. I thank you that you are willing to give the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, guidance for our lives and restoration in our lives. You are willing for those things. Lord, heal our hearts and our minds where we've, we've just lost confidence. The stars we look at today are the same stars that were there when Abraham was given his promise. You are the same God. Lord, restore confidence in us towards you. Even though the waters are muddy, you are still the same. Lord, help us re-engage if we've stepped back. Thank you. Lead us areas where we need guidance, Father, speak to us. 
glory of Jesus. Amen. Now, if, 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 if you felt like something today, you said, hey, there's something I'd like to talk to someone about. Today, the tree is going to be called the tree of clarity and re-engagement. So if you feel like you want some clarity or you want to re-engage with God on some things perhaps you've stepped back on because the waters have been muddy, we're going to have some people over there to pray with you. So no morning tea, uh, but I encourage you to encourage one another, uh, bless one another. As this week, if you go to uh, connect groups, you've been with people, encourage one another. Uh, Look to God for the guide for your life. Uh, for he's willing to give us everything we need. Lord, bless all of us this week as we go from here. Your confidence and your courage. Thank you. We celebrate communion, Lord. You have given us your son. How will you not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Bless us, Lord. We go knowing you are with us into this world that needs you so badly. Make us lights in this dark world. 